Welcome everyone to the Francis Fogel Story Strategist podcast. I am very happy to have here today a new friend of mine, Emma Draper. Um, Emma, I am honoured to have because she was voted Businesswoman of the Year 2023 in Surrey and Sussex. She's an entrepreneur and the owner of an award-winning retail store called Velvet and a property developer as well. Um, she has a business called Velvet Property. And the reason I wanted to have Emma on the show is because um, I am in the business, not only of running a community for coaches to help them put themselves out there with more confidence, clarity and joy, which I think Emma does, but I'm also launching a new business to help founders in Surrey, Sussex, London, Kent, and basically an hour from where I live in London <clears throat> to use their own stories in their businesses to do four things better. And those four things are their marketing and sales. Also to help their teams, their employees to feel more engaged, seen, heard, understood, and have a better sense of significance in the business also to encourage their customers to be more loyal and to be cheerleaders of the product and also in terms of their community care and i my big system change that i want to make in doing this work is to help one small organization at a time to punch with or above the big boys and also to make their mark in the world and do what they can in their local communities. And I heard Emma uh, being interviewed on the Happy Startup School podcast. And her story really spoke to me. She was very clear about what she stood for. Um, and she spoke to all those four things with real confidence and clarity. And I wanted to have Emma on here as a business owner in Sussex, talking about why she established the businesses that she has and how her story, which she spoke about so beautifully, underpins the four different areas that I think make a really good ethical business today. And I have to say, Emma, that I noticed since listening to that and since asking you to come on the podcast that of course your surname is Draper awesome. it must have some clothing roots so I'd be quite interested to know if it does because it just fits so beautifully alongside what you do as one of your businesses um, and I'm really curious also as to where the term velvet comes from which I don't think you spoke to in that conversation so I'm going to let everybody first of all learn a little bit more about you if you'd be so kind as to tell everybody what your story is if you like and thank you for being here thank you for asking me Frances yes so my one of my businesses Velvet is 23 years old this week so it's her birthday um I set Velvet up yeah 23 years ago in North Lane in Brighton little tweeny shop um because I came down to Brighton then and I didn't like the shops. I wanted a shop that I could enjoy because I didn't like 
um, hippie trousers or incense, which is basically what you could buy 23 years ago in the North Lane. Um, I left a job in London, which I hated because I didn't like the lack of community. I didn't like the way people treated each other. And that's not me. I'm a people person. Um, So I set this shop up with the help of my mum, thinking we might sell a few things, but I don't care because I've left my horrible job. And it just flew because it just flew. The first three days we were sold out. We had a queue up the street. It was the most incredible feeling. So I would say the business from there has grown and grown. And at one point we had four shops. We had a recession. So the business has been through so many transformations. But I think the key part is I've always loved it. She's my other child, Velvet is. I talk about her like a human because she is ingrained in literally through my, you know, blood through my veins. So where we are now with the store, it's a two-floor, 3,000-square-foot store in Hove, which takes a team of 16 to run it. So it's it's a great business. It's a very profitable business. But... For me, it's so much more than that. Um, those women I work with, they are, you know, people say, oh, they're my family. They are my family because most of them have been there a long, long time. My management team, um, Gemma's 15 years, Ella's eight years, Ellen's nine years. It's These are my daughters, but they're. that's what I wanted. I wanted to work in a business where I could be with people that I cared about. Obviously, we've had our ups and downs with the team, but that was the most important thing to me. And also to be such an institution now. People travel from all over the country to see us. And that hasn't happened overnight. There's been a million dramas along the way. But alongside this, I've um, done property development since I was a young woman in London, when you could. <laughs> it was really cheap. But I've learned so much and I've always done that through ups and downs and that's kept me um, financially okay. When I'm being a single parent, that was a bit of a shock seven years ago to three sons. So that's helped me through tough times financially as well. So, And then I do have another business where I invest a little bit of money in various small businesses that I believe in and want to help start now and that's the thing I've been able to do in later life um because Velvet is the core she's the one that keeps us all going and keeps my team and their families going and we love her that's a very short crazy of what 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 I'm all about well thank you and I think you've spoken to all the four pillars of a good business there Mm. in talking about uh you know the strong brand that you have and yeah you know it's your baby and also how you look after your people that work for you how Mm -hmm. you have attracted such a kind of loyal customer base people travel the country and the work that you do now in your community and supporting smaller businesses that it seems to me you see a bit of yourself in you know perhaps back in the day who need the help 100 percent yeah. yeah love it so may I ask and there may not be any connection but perhaps on retrospective there is something that you can draw on here but where did the term where did the, the name velvet come from honest to god it was like 
I just read some marketing bump that you should have a short name, maybe a couple of letters are the same. And I just went through the dictionary and I liked velvet because I liked the idea of it was sort of a luxurious fabric fabric but affordable because the key thing about my business is it's all very affordable Marks and Spencer prices and I thought yeah velvet's not too expensive it's a nice word I like it well that was it it wasn't any more than that <laughs> um six letters mm-hmm. it was just an idea and it stuck and I'm now called around here Mrs Velvet that's what most people call me <laughs> Do you know what? It's so funny because I think so many people land on fantastic business names and concepts and then don't give themselves the credit due for what was probably an unconscious, very clever, creative decision. Because you've explained, albeit on retrospect, why it does actually stand very well for what you believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of the job at hand for founders is to try to be known for something that they believe in and for you, affordability yeah. and luxury. Mm. Mm. Um, is there anything else that you would add on to the sort of values piece, if you like, about what your what you think your business represents? Oh, yes. I've got so many values, but I think the key thing is that I wanted the customer to feel very special, to feel wanted, and to feel part of the part of the the business, because I love retail. I just love retail. I, it honestly, it's just me. Um, but I don't. I used to hate going into shops and not feel welcome. I mean, that's what we do. We, you know, my team. They know their customers' names, their dogs' names, where they go on holiday, their babies. We're often holding a baby while someone tries something on. You can't get that in the big stores. And for me, it was always about, I remember saying to my mum when we first opened, I just want people to walk in the shop and go, ooh, this is nice, just to feel part of a thing, a small business. We're not a chain. We're nice people. You know, I've employed my, my mum still works for me. She's 81. My dad did until we lost him. My sister has, my eldest son has. My middle son is trying. (laughs) Um, you know, it's it is a hundred percent a family business. People's sisters come and work for us, brothers. It's that's that's what I really enjoy, and I think that was my value. Because you know, you work a lot. I want to go somewhere which makes me happy, and I think that's the core. Um, also, we do do a lot of work with local charities and organisations, and that helps us all feel like we're putting back into the community as well. So that's a nice thing. So I think you've kind of answered my next question pretty much already, but it's the question is, what is the big system change that you'd like to see? And maybe you can talk to it from the viewpoint of somebody who's now been in retail for 23 years. And, you know, in the context of the current economic climate, what are your bugbears? What are the things that you would like to see change? What within the, the main high street itself? Could be, yeah. I think retailers are just, some of the big retailers are pretty brutal. Um, They don't consider enough where their stock comes from, how it's made. Um, I'm very careful with that with my suppliers. And I don't think they're listening to their customers enough. I think customer service is a dying art. And that upsets me enormously when you go into certain, some stores are great at it. 
it is more difficult when you've got a huge amount of staff. But I think the heart of the high street needs to come back. It, I can see sprouts of it coming, popping up here and there, but the heart of the high street is where, where people come for interaction with other humans. Our policy on the shop floor is if somebody wants to talk to you, they might be lonely. We talk to them however long it takes. It's often, you know, I find it might be young mothers or elderly or elderly ladies. We have quite a lot of lovely elderly ladies. <laughs> they might not talk to anyone else that day. But being a small business, we can talk to them. And that that makes me happy. Hmm. So you have fallen into retail and fallen into property development yeah it has enabled you now to give back to the community and it's yeah. your it's your route to changing the world do you see it like that oh in my in, in church road maybe <laughs> I don't want to I I think uh, I feel like I have a lot of knowledge and that is just from 30 years of working in property 23 in retail it's it's knowledge that I now feel I've been so head down being a mum running a business. Um, it's the last year hitting 50. I think, right, it's my time now to, to give back what I know and really see. It just dawned on me that I know a lot of stuff just by doing it. And I think that's an important lesson that I can help share, really. And I'm also really proud of what I've done. So I think it's nice I don't want to get, look at me, I'm great, because that's really cringe. It's also not true. And I think to share the reality is really important as well, because business is hard. I've had, I've made a million mistakes. I've had a million bad days. I've not been able to juggle all the time with the kids. I've dropped the balls. You know, it's about being honest, but also about what tricks maybe have got me through. I could share on them. I think that's my next stage, Francis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm enjoying. Okay, thank you. So a number of people that I am uh, most keen to work with may be coming to the work that I can do with them from a number yeah. of uh, perspectives. Founders of businesses like yours may well be thinking about leaving, letting go. Yeah, yeah. And the work around their story is important because they might be keen to leave a legacy across those yeah. practices that they feel uh, is particularly personal and allows them to walk away with their you know head held high knowing that they've made a change and there might be some founders who are not ready to let go yet yeah. um, but are seeing it increasingly hard to grow a business that might be interested in growing business with those four practices working more and more in silo how do you how do you stay in control there are some that uh, don't want to grow but really want yeah. to remain sustainable at this time yeah um, and there are some that might have their marketing and sales sorted their employees might be happy they might have really loyal customers and they now think now is the time to give back. You know, I'm a citizen in this world. 
yes i think more and more oh. we're aware of uh corporate responsibility and sustainability and it's time to look look in that direction so which of those do you sort of feel is where you're at i think you've answered it but you know would you just say say the last one yeah the last one definitely over the last covid sort of generated me towards that um seeing the strengths of the team and only three weeks ago i um my buying and marketing manager has been promoted to md so i've made her md of the business um it was a beautiful moment um for her and for me she's given me everything the last 15 years and she's she's running the business on a a day-to-day basis now this is a huge step for me because velvet is my baby like she is my baby so handing the but we work side by side but I'm doing my property stuff and maybe more speaking and stuff like that but the ability to do that is incredible and it's not something that's happened overnight. It's been a building and building and building and, and believing in her and all the experience she's had and giving her the tools to grow, which is what I've done with the whole management team. And that means I'm at that stage where I can step back from the business and do the things um, I enjoy. She's got a new link with a big local charity, doing work with them. And that just makes me really happy, but I can't step away from my business because I love her too much. Um, I'm very involved on a daily basis, but maybe only an hour or two a day now. But she still gives me the joy. Because there was a crossroad, but I thought, is this what I still want to do? For about five minutes, Francis. And I thought, no, I love her. I love the... So I can't do that, but my team are better than me. They're quite frankly better than me. They're brilliant. So that's what they're doing. So I think I'm the last one. Definitely. So can you tell us about that charity that you're now? Yeah, so it's it's um, called Fair Share. And I'm really passionate about working with them. We've already um actually Velvet has already paid for twelve thousand meals. What they do is incredible. They pick up um, waste food. So they're ticking all lots of boxes. All the supermarkets, waste food, or food from factory that's been mislabeled and has to be binned. When I say waste, it's still in date, but they can't sell it or they've made too much of it. Um, farmers have got too many. It was courgettes. It's sweet. You know, in the summer, it's, it's Swedes this week. So they have an army of vans go out pick up all this food and then it's allocated to 150 charities in Surrey and Sussex so these are they may be anything from refuges to food banks to community centers to um, elderly groups that don't have enough food keep their groups going it's just brilliant because they're avoiding food waste and they're giving food to the people that really need it so it only costs 25p to provide a meal so we've we've raised about four thousand in the last four months so that's twelve thousand you know whatever meals it's like it's what a lovely feeling that is so we're going to be doing loads more with them because it's just getting the food that's going to be thrown away to the people need it it should be simple but it isn't obviously as you can imagine there's a lot more complications 
So we do like, we do things like pre-loved rails in the store and various drives to do that because obviously we want we are selling fashion, but we want people to think about returning their fashion and then that money goes hundred percent or to fair share. So that's it's a really nice initiative. Okay. So you're speaking to quite a lot there. You're financially contributing and you're raising money, it sounds like. Yeah. And yeah. You've, got, you've got this sort of uh involvement of your customers in that in that yeah sport. yeah the customers are on the journey with us they know that we've committed to getting fifty thousand meals delivered so they know that <laughs> we talk to them about it on social okay so the two the two businesses sorry the the store and the corporate responsibility agenda yeah are very matched or rather very uh a dovetailing in terms of strategy yeah 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 how how does the story of um what you represent with the store reflect in what you're trying to achieve in terms of the charitable work again to that kind of bigger picture of change what are the parallels in that story the stories i think it's about being aware that you're in a wider community I think we've always talked about business wise you know I'm definitely a business woman as well I'm not I'm not going to make bones about that I wanted to make a decent income for me and my family there's, there's but the point is I wanted to do it in the right way and the whole community part of the team that I've built we've built is is that it's a wider community with their their husbands and children and stuff like that but that's, I think, the parallel is with working with a local charity where I know various places in Hove who are receiving the food. It it feels like it's it's local, but it just makes me feel it is it makes me feel good as well. And I know it's working, and it gets the team on board as well. And it and they're thinking about their responsibilities to a recycling food waste and people that can't afford the lunch Mm -hmm. so they're my parallels with that yeah yeah it's um interesting to me uh that rather than for example choosing a charity that's around uh mental health let's say yeah 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 the two different causes that you've got going on if you like are putting yeah on people's backs and foods on the table food on the table yeah 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 and that's, you know, the story through history of basic needs, isn't it, essentially? Basic needs. Basic needs. Yeah. I mean, I'm well aware, Francis, that I sell a lot of very nice things. You know, a lot of, we sell a huge amount of gifts and Christmas baubles and party outfits and jumpers. You know, you don't really need these things. They bring joy to people and my shop brings joy to people. You know, the fact that we had a group of women flew down from Scotland the other week and their priority was coming to Velvet. Really nice. Um, So I'm well aware that they're not basic needs. They make us feel nice. We talk a lot about making women feel confident and comfortable in their clothes. We do a lot of personal shopping. You know, can I breastfeed in this? Can I do this? Can I go to this? conference can I go to a ball whatever but I'm well aware it's not you don't need the fancy outfit that you might be buying or the jumpers you don't need maybe four of these jumpers but I like to try and offset it with the work we're doing 
but my customers' feedback that we are a not a service, but a bit of joy, a bit of joy and a bit of they know who they're coming to shop from. They know it comes, they see my family or whatever they see, the girls' family. So they know it's that. So but I do like to offset it because it isn't it isn't a basic need. Yeah. In fact, you know, in saying that, you you've basically gone one step further with the with the message if you like which is we're not just about basic needs you know we put basic needs basic needs might drive it in the first you know from first impressions we're about clothes on backs and foods on table but then the joy that comes from that is what it's really all about and you've just looping this back to your own personal story you have shared with us um, and yeah, and you did so to quite a degree in the conversation I heard you on originally. Um, how for you, it was it was a case of yeah, food on the table and clothes on the back. It was, yeah. I mean, seven years ago, my business was fine; it was coasting, but it wasn't thriving. And then, quite dramatically, my husband left, and I've got three young boys. So after like losing my mind for a bit and um I realized that I couldn't afford to divorce is very expensive I lost some of the properties um I couldn't afford to live in our family home and I didn't want any more drama for the children so that was a massive kick a massive incentive a huge why and then I basically restructured the entire business with the team I've got them on board it was exciting it was tough it was relentlessly hard work but it it worked I mean the turnover has quadrupled since then so it financially it's been great the team are all empowered they're all paid a lot more money so it's all worked in in those respects but it did take a quite a bit of a drama actually when I think about it I was unhappy that I wasn't achieving because I've always been quite an ambitious person and I thought well that hasn't really quite come off you know you get bogged down maybe in parenting and other stuff and family so you know it was hard work but I'm glad to say that it you know well it still has my ups and downs like any business because that would not be true if I didn't say that but I'm proud that that came out came out of that hmm it sounds to me that your politics, if you like, are about making sure that it isn't just about what people basically need, but more that is important in order that actually yeah. you say four times that the business yeah. has grown four times as a result of the joy that was experienced yeah. by it. Yeah. Yeah. I think we talk to our customers so much and we listen to what they ask for and what they say um social media is a powerful tool for velvet as a business um as people know they just contact us all the time can you keep this can you save this oh i can't come in this week can i have that in a couple of weeks and as a small business we can do that can't ask marks and spencers to do that so how do you manage that then from a logistical point of view talk i want to ask you uh, because my new role, my new business is essentially as a kind of non-exec director. So I've yeah. been a manager and a leader in businesses and I've sat on the boards of charity yeah. and 
what I see, particularly in the charity world, is the um, how positive, but also sometimes how debilitating bad boards can be. But a good board of advisors and mentors can be really helpful. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, and I'm wondering how, you know, who did you have around you? So I've got two questions. One is around the sort of, yeah, how do you decide where to spend your energy and your time and your budget? Yeah. And the other question is, is to do with who's supported you like who's been guiding yeah. you, who's been mentoring you over the years okay so first question um was how how do you sort of initiate all these things and how do you spread it out sort of thing is that what you're asking me mm-hmm. the only thing i'd say about that it's bit by bit day by day incremental steps to work out what's needed um i think that's I come across a lot of young founders that just want it all to happen straight away. That's just not possible. You've got to build it step by step, day by day. And I think I had the approach that if I build this bit, then I can build that bit, then I can build this bit. And then the team on board, we all had, right, this is your project. This is your project. And who wants to do that? And who's good at that? Looking at that's the case, get people's skill sets. Obviously, they're all different in your team or your group. So we looked at that and I think it was just, once I got to this stage, we could do this, we could do that. You can't do it all at once. I think that was the key aim and that's what's growing the business. So everyone has their role and their responsibilities, but we all come together to sort of grow it. I think that that's how that's worked. Um, I would highly recommend that as an approach to any business. And you just feel like when you get to a certain stage, oh, I've done that bit, do this bit. And that's a sort of very satisfying thing um so the mentor question is quite interesting because I honestly Francis I had a big chip on my shoulder about being a single parent and I have to do it you know by myself and I wanted to build wealth and security for the family so I did it quite frankly too much on my own um my mother's a massive inspiration enormous inspiration in hindsight and being part of the happy startup community now, I realised I should have reached out a long time ago and it would have helped some of the hiccups, some of the mistakes, some of the depressing times. That would have really helped if I'd have reached out, but I was a bit like, I could do this, I could do this, you know, a bit chippy, maybe. So in the last sort of two years when I have reached out more to people and met more business people, it's been amazing. It's been amazing to share some stories, to realise. But that was a long time coming and I wish I'd done it sooner. So that's what I would always say to people. If you can do that sooner, it would have benefited me, especially when I was going through the big transition. Life lesson. Well, you've obviously done very well, despite. Um, who did you talk to then when things were tough? Is it your mum, you say? My mum, yeah. And I have another friend who's a businesswoman um, from school. We used to talk a bit, but I was, I just used to, you know, I'd even buy a property and not tell anybody. I just had head down and just doing things. It was quite sort of strange behaviour, but I think maybe if you've been, of her or isolated you do I don't I have a lot of friends I just kept my sort of business thing a little bit separate 
wouldn't recommend it. We can't don't all be, now. We can't all be as strong as Emma, and it's uh, you know, it's a it's an it's a curious irony, which is of course that if you're strong enough to become a business founder and an entrepreneur, you probably are relatively able to be self sufficient. Yeah, probably are a bigger picture thinker. Yes, uh, yeah. And it's difficult to let go and difficult to know who you should be bringing in, if anyone, yeah. to support you. Yeah. yeah. Why are they any better than you? Is it going to be an additional uh, effort to inform people of your thinking when you could just be getting on with it, which is what I think a lot of people in our position think is, you know, I, I know the answers, so better just to yeah. put my head down. Just crack on. Yeah, get it done. Get you know that was me always. Get it done. Get this done. Get this done. Get this done. But you know it's not ultimately that healthy. I think Francis. I think just sharing experiences has been a new thing for me. But also I've probably got more time to do that now. And I there's there's that thing too. You know, parenting three younger boys who are now you know in their later teens. They don't need me as much. <laughs> You know, um, they're living their best life. It's, it's that time that you know I I have got more time. The business is safer and it's doing really well, and it it's all in a good chapter. But I know, and I will say this to any people, business people now, do do reach out and talk to other people because it's amazing what you learn as well. Yeah, and also just from a networking point of view, you know, I think I've been in the business of corporate responsibility for twenty years. I did both of my undergraduate and postgraduate dissertations around corporate sponsorship um and then as I say I've sat on the board of a charity also six years which was an international development and education charity and also micro-funded social enterprises in Ghana and India oh wow okay and what I've learned from being both on the business side and the charity side is that there's this kind of narrative which is the charity sector is cap in hand to the business sector the business sector is generously giving out handouts maybe sitting on board advising but what we can learn in the business world from charities is what you're talking about which is the sort of very um healthy approach to not one person making all the decisions oh yeah but having to be accountable to a board all of whom are responsible for the livelihood of the people involved and for the sustainability of the organization. And sometimes it's a it's a, a dance for the chief exec of a charity where they yeah. don't feel like they're having to just simply re- report back to a board all the time, um, but rather getting the most out of the board. And as I say, that can in, in a in a healthy situation look like an additional bank of people to do fundraising and additional yeah. bank of people with resources and, and intelligence enough that it informs the strategy so yeah. I am a firm, firm believer that we can support financially and strategically those organizations as businesses that we might feel inclined to but also we have quite a lot to, to learn from how they run businesses as well and I guess part of my big system change is to see the way in which businesses and third sector organizations can actually learn from each other and, and sort of work hundred oh, percent in tandem. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. Oh, good. <laughs> it's always nice to, to kind of just make sure that the thoughts in your head are not just 
Random. Yeah, well, it makes perfect sense. I think, you know, whatever organisation, if you can't learn from other people in the organisation or the board or whoever you're working with, I always think that you never know what you can learn from each other and what collaborations, how they can work until you listen. Mm-hmm. So you so listen and that, hear. On the listening thing, how, what, what, what do you do to get your people together? Can you give us some, you've talked a little bit about user experience in terms of customer feedback. Um, yeah. What do your kind of team get togethers look like and how do you listen to your people? Okay, yeah. Well, again, I've learned the hard way, long career in business, how to treat people. I've always treated people really well because I feel that's just common sense. But you make mistakes. You don't always really understand their position. So first of all, I always try and see whatever we're doing from the the person's point of view. Put yourself in their shoes. How are they going to react to this, that and the other? But team building, I've always been so passionate about women looking after women. We have had men work with us. <laughs> not the moment, but that, that, that's not a boundary. Um, but right now, it's women supporting women. And the culture that we've generated is, is from the top to the bottom or across because we won't stand for any sort of unpleasantness. If there is a thing, we get right into the core of it and see if we can manage manage the team because of course there's going to be friction in any team but they're all working it's really hard to explain I think because we spend so much time on my managers the four managers they all spend so much time and investment in people that it, it all comes back to us and we very much be careful about who we choose to be in the team they have to be warm open people because we're customer facing it's very important so we do loads of stuff we do lots of training we we do three-month chats with each each person what do you like what do you enjoy oh you like doing that let's do more of that with you so they get much more ownership of their job um, we do flexible working hours especially for the mums we try and cater for how they're feeling in the job we also have a lot of fun we don't take things too seriously the girls laugh at if they're getting stressed because they care they care so much about the business because they see what it means to us as a whole family that they they um they always hear me and they're always going it's not a and e it's not a and e and if you make a mistake nobody's gonna die um we're fine we'll fix it it, it doesn't matter so they've got a lot more autonomy ownership is very important of their jobs um feeling valued which they are feeling loved is so important and we go out and have fun too <laughs> which is is crucial and they're all good friends but that doesn't come by accident it comes if there's any problems any issues we go straight in and say hey guys <laughs> nothing swept under the carpet I, I wonder think that's it. <clears throat> Thank you. I wonder if you can uh, share with people how much you outsource and how much you keep in-house. Again, you've kind of spoken to this already, but the four different practices that I support people with, as yeah. again, are marketing and sales, uh, yeah. learning and development, team wellbeing, yeah. 
um, let me say team engagement as opposed to well-being, yeah. uh, customer retention and community care or sponsorship or charitable work. Do you or do you not do a lot of outsourcing to other people in those four practices? Right. Uh, we do a lot in-house. We do a lot of training in-house, but we do have an organisation that we work with for well-being. Um, if, you know, basically pay for girl, for the team to call someone privately. It's just, that's there. It's, an, it's completely confidential if they need to share stuff. So that's outsourced. Um, HR is all in, but we have a backup HR so we can find out if we make sure we're doing everything spot on uh marketing 100 all done in-house have a marketing person social media but we will go on courses and we'll learn from people and we'll have advisors um because obviously the marketing world is forever changing so that's marketing team building is done by the the managers um and we have regular in-house manager meetings but we do take advice so they do have training days that obviously that's outsourced what was the other one um there's customer customer retention and community care. yeah customer retention is all done in-house um but again we will go on a course or we'll learn something about it but the team each person has their own responsibilities for that um because customer retention is key it's the thing the absolute thing we yeah so we do that in-house but we have been on training things to learn how to do it okay okay um and then I think you've already answered this but you know the decisions about what you have invested in in terms of your financial investments and time um, yeah also been your internal decision making internal decisions but I have learned things I have been again done training and stuff and now I have two advisors that I work with should have done that five years ago but you know we live and learn um and they yeah they're paid advisors but they're like a mentor a financial mentor I have yeah and that's a new thing so are they advising you on what finances are available or are they advising you on the kind of organizations that you might like to be working with in terms of the investments um uh, more of the first how i'm sort of controlling the whole thing it's more of a personal and a bit of both maybe a bit of both but this yeah so it's super but then i've now got another coach who's just doing me and i've never done that i've never really had had a bit of business coaching in the past but i've working with someone who's just doing me that's How's exciting that you enjoying it loving it it's a bit soul searching like wow but what's stemming from that Francis is really exciting it's the next step so that's okay curious um no you've just done a really wonderful job of trying of, of exemplifying the the work that I am trying to support so rather than companies going off in silo I think you know, where people are not 100% confident about what they might be doing in terms of marketing and branding and sales, uh, you know, learning and development and team support, customer experience and community care. Understandably, they look out 
to experts in the field yeah, yeah. end up paying an absolute yeah. fortune like to give absolute you fortune. yeah to give you an example of uh, the average um amount spent on a london-based pr agency uh across a a, a a quite wide range of businesses it's you know you can be looking at anything from six to 14 grand a month just to be paying a pr agency to be yeah a couple of days a month um and with the greatest yeah to my friends in PR often it's yeah you end up having to do quite a lot of the work anyway because you're it's not yeah who has to spend lists etc and that's just that's just PR which is one line of the marketing budget and then you've got important it is Mm. it's all very important but for for businesses who are you know yes maybe they're sort of plateauing a bit or they're not in the early stages of the fundraising um, nevertheless they do not have huge amounts of budget to spend on all four practices and if you are outsourcing to marketing agencies branding agencies PR agencies HR learning and development coaches uh, UX agencies and a sponsorship agency needless to say you're spending an absolute fortune I um, think that will hit, hit your bottom line significantly yeah. right and that prevents people from doing an excellent job in all four areas and yeah. If you outsource, then all those four areas are working in silo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Rather than together. Working together. Yeah. Yeah. PR is a great example. I worked in PR um before in 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 the city and stuff. And what we were paid for what we were doing, quite frankly, was shocking. Um <laughs> so but PR, that's just me in great stead, I have to say, and that's why we do our own obviously PR but I think sometimes you need a little bit of help I've always had a very keen eye on the budget but sometimes you need to pay for a bit of a I think more training to bring it back into house Mm -hmm. in house I think that's what you're talking about isn't it Francis I think and also you're all singing from the same song sheet we've obviously we've had experiences where a few of us have been on a training course and they've said oh no you've you've got to do this that and the other and you'll think that is not us that's not our true voice mm-hmm. we're much more bubbly and lively than that or we're much more excited about our business than that so it you I think it's tailoring it as well it's really important but right yeah, bring it in house if possible yeah no I couldn't agree with you more and you know the reason I'm going into what I'm going into now is because and it never yeah. made sense it never made sense at the time but on retrospect the 20 years of experience that I have means that uh as my friend amy and i like to say i'm a a rainbow person so i'm a little bit good at a lot of things including francis pardon useful yeah rainbow person yeah you know i've never uh so i ran the marketing department of uh the world's only art-led insurance company for seven years for example wow and what that meant was at the age of 24, because we had a alcoholic chief exec who was so busy in his own little world that he forgot to replace my manager when she went off to have babies. And so I was catapulted into this role of, you know, um, wow. responsibility at a young age. And I was res- I was responsible for a budget that was to be spent on external and internal comms um, B2B and B2C marketing, PR, sponsorship, events, uh, and, you know, just all of the marketing things. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And that was great because it was a baptism of fire, but I could, I couldn't, you know, I, I wasn't working in any of the external agencies that we did or didn't use. And so had to become a bit of a jack of all trades. And so, for example, I have the basics, but they're probably more than just basics of how to do PR. And I think for some people, for example, a knowledge bomb that you or I might be able to share, which is you, what you want to have is a, a press pack you want to have bio, yeah, yeah. you want to have a, a, a like a example press release you want to have your FAQs yeah um you know just that sort of oh right that's that's what you need to have okay and then how yeah. do you touch with journalists how do they like to be communicated with yeah this is the gold dust that isn't that hard to impart but is worth so much internally to then be able to yeah. work, right Exactly. And then if you've got people in your business that want to grow, that's how you can help them grow because you can give them new skills. And that's a really empowering thing. Absolutely. And then teach them how to become the spokespeople in working yeah. that alongside your L&D, alongside your. Uh, yeah. I've just run. I've just come off a uh, retreat, actually, that I ran with a friend um, from the Happy Startup School, Matt Matheson, who's the speaking. Coach. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's all about public speaking or just speaking yeah. up basically but of course yeah. so many birds uh can be uh killed with one stone if you like because yeah. confidence can be boosted and at the same time people become become spokespeople for the company for which the business. speaks to the PR line so I think one of the things I'm trying to say is that well two things one is you can spend a lot less and say a lot more you certainly can especially um, in this day and age Yes. Um, yeah. And also, uh, you're sitting on a gold mine already with your stories. And I don't mm. think people quite understand that the that the linchpin across the four different practices is a thing that they already have. It's not something that's going to even need yeah. to be paid for in training. It's just yeah. something that needs to be identified, right? Yeah, you've got a great point here. I really like your four key points. They are well, they're the essential thing of the businesses, aren't they? And and I think you're right about the story because business owners have got a story because they've got there somehow. They haven't taken the easy route. They've got they've developed their business somehow, and there's there's, there's the story there. That's and people right. love stories, don't they? They do. And you know, I just want to dispel a myth also that is that it might necessarily be a sort of linear a linear heritage based story. It could yeah. be a story about values or a story about experiences or a story about intergenerational trauma or a story about a property yeah. you've inherited yeah, yeah. Um, might be that your shop for all we know is is you know it, on a converted um prison it isn't right but yeah. you know people can capitalize on a thing and it can become yeah. that and then that story can can loop everything together um and there is a degree of creativity around it so yeah, I just want to make people aware that I'm not necessarily talking about I inherited this from this and then I was, you yeah. know, this is all about me. Yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. What is the story that you want people to know and how does it connect with everything else that you are doing? And we haven't even had time, and I'm mindful of time now, to sort of make those creative links with the property business. But I dare say that, you know, maybe, maybe again on an unconscious level, your choices about where you have bought property and what you've done with yes. it. Probably yeah, what I've done. But this, it's also customer-led. Again, 
because I like to think I'm the nicest landlady in Brighton Hove because, again, I treat my tenants like my best customers because it's not easy always renting, is it? And then things go wrong and I just make sure that I answer their calls immediately and make sure things are looked after within within reason. Things are looked after them maybe the same day and they feel they're, they're my customers and I, I'd like to you know, landlords, landladies, whatever we are, have a bad rep. Um, most of the people I know through property are actually really decent people, but it has a bit of a bad rep, and I like to bust that right out because it's about they're my customers and I want them to be safe and well and looked after. Okay, so, yes, there is a link, and I think... It's wonderful that you're talking again about the three basic things, not just not yeah. just the clothing on the back and the and the food on the table, but the having a roof over your head. Yeah, right? so exactly. Different things. Yeah. You know, these are the basic core needs of survival. And then you're sprinkling joy at every yeah. single on every single basic level of survival. And yeah, nice. yeah, to be able to say, you know, the three things I do, yeah, the, the property, the clothing business, the community work, it's about basic needs, but plus, basic needs plus, and that's what we're yeah. all about. Um, yeah, we all need a little bit of joy, don't we? That's right. Especially. And I think you've also spoken to the, the feminine quality that, that uh, also laces all those three practices together. And there's a story for you about busting myths and turning what has previously perhaps been seen as a negative, you know, the female involvement in property, the female involvement, uh, I don't know really where I'm going with this, but there's something about you utilizing, using the feminine yeah. again to kind of make big system change, basically. Yeah, 100%. I think women are amazing because we have this sort of caring attitude to work as well. You know, there's two prongs. I am a businesswoman. I, I want to make money, but I also want to care about who I'm doing it with and the wider community. And why can't you do both? You can. And I think women have this amazing capacity for caring. There has to be, you know, some sort of business line sometimes, but it's a wonderful thing we have. Not to not mention think it's just ability, women. Not, not to mention the ability to multitask, which I think you have. Uh, very much uh, shown us is possible I can do that yes so I, you know, this conversation we could have another one another time um I'd love to for example talk to you about the parallels between being a mother and being an entrepreneur but we'll have to talk about that another time yeah um it's been such an absolute pleasure and thank you for helping me to show my listeners um in real life what it is that I'm imagining could be better by doing it yeah. already myself. And I you I know. think you've got amazing I uh, you've got amazing ideas here, Francis. I think it's you're gonna be really helping. Oh thank you so much. Founded, yeah. Well I appreciate pleasure. Thank you. And uh yeah I will I'll we'll be in touch and thank you everybody for listening. And if you want to find out more about Emma you can find her on LinkedIn. She's got a huge amount of followers already uh on her instagram um account which is absolutely delightful it's called velvet hove Twenty one thousand followers uh so do follow her on instagram and um she's very much available as she has shown today for lovely conversation so thank you emma i've had a lovely time thank you francis <laughs>